Good morning, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church. If you have a Bible, please open up to Psalm 13. That's the passage we'll be in this morning. It was the winter of 2016, and I was lying on my living room couch when I realized that I hadn't eaten for over 36 hours. I was weeks into a bout of deep prevailing depression. I was swinging between moments of alarming anxiety, the kind where you get panic attacks and and you're not really able to breathe. You feel like you can't get air. And swinging from that to times of deep, deep sadness. The kind of sadness where you feel like your soul has been scooped out and there's just this gaping hole at the center of your being. I felt worn down, out of control, and scared. It was such a rapid decline into a depression that I was beginning to fear that I would never climb out. It was so deep and dark and so heavy that I feared if I got any worse, I would no longer be safe. It was a dark night of my soul. We later find out that these episodes were being exasperated by an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's. I don't remember a lot about the day-to-day of that season of my life, but I do remember the desperation. I mean, I was so desperate that I even went to Kylie Chin and asked for oils. <laughs> I'd try anything. I remember the desperation in my prayers, too. Short, Repetitive, pleading prayers. God, save me. Why? Help. Where are you? Please. Last week I said that the book of Psalms is a gift to our souls. I believe one of the incredible gifts of these Psalms is that they give voice to grief, fear, and abandonment. They show us that not only can our laments be not sinful, but that God wants to hear them. That he's given us the language in his holy word to complain, question, and wrestle with him. I don't know what season of life you're in this morning. You may be on the mountaintops with a song on your lips, or you may be in the deepest of valleys with a whimpering plea in your heart. Or you may be like most of us this morning, somewhere in between. I believe this morning God wants to instruct us on how to lament. By lament, I mean to bring our complaints to God in a way that is honoring to him. I think God wants to teach us how to do this because for some of us this morning, we will be able to put words to the season of life we're in. And for others, it will prepare us for when we inevitably are there. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, Thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 13. Lord, would you take these words and would you bring comfort to those who are hurting this morning? Would you give words that we can speak and pray to you, Lord? That we give voice to to confusion and anger and frustration in our lives. Lord, would you equip your children, Lord? We want to honor you. So Lord, would you come and be with us this morning as we hear your word and 
and look at your word, and would you use this to just transform lives today? Bring encouragement like you only can. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Psalm 13 reads like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We often joke that verses like the first four in the psalm never make it onto a cross-stitch pillow. Rarely do you hear people talk about how they've committed Psalm 13 to memory. And I think that's incredibly unfortunate. Far from these words being disrespectful or reverent, this psalm is a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer, meaning that the Word of God would be incomplete if this psalm wasn't here. That when God gave us his very words so that we could live a life pleasing to him, he included the language of questioning, despair, and doubt. Can we just acknowledge how encouraging that is? How many of us have lived a life of unending prosperity and blessing? Anyone? How many of us have had internal emotional states of happiness and peace every moment of every day for our lives? No one's going to volunteer and say that's them? The fact that God included prayers of lament in Scripture tells us two immediate things. One, it's not something wrong with you or your faith when you experience times of deep emotional pain. And two, there is a way to lament that pleases God. Now, we don't know the circumstances of David when he wrote Psalm 13. Some think it is likely connected to Saul threatening his life and pursuing him. Others believe it's likely connected to sickness. And others lean in that it's deep depression. I think it's a mercy of God that we don't know. Because no matter what it is that's disturbing your soul this morning, you can take this psalm and cry out to God. So let's take this psalm in three parts. The first part, first two verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It feels strange to complain to God, doesn't it? If you're acknowledging yes, then it's likely you're not in a valley this morning. Now, I do want to clarify in this moment. Scripture tells us not to be grumbling, not to complain in some translations in Philippians. Here's what I think the difference is. This is not a nurturing of an offense in our soul. 
This is not a, a, a spreading and trying to create dissension. This is not a grumbling of our circumstances. This is taking our circumstances and, and truly complaining to the only one who can do anything about it. In these first two verses, David questions and complains to God. He, he's not asking directly for relief. He is first asking questions that show the lack of relief. Four times we get the repetition of how long. I find that relatable. Now, I've been very, very blessed in my life to never go to the hospital and be rushed immediately back to a room because my condition was so bad. So far. But that also means that I've been cursed to have gone to the ER many times and sat there for hours. I hit that sweet spot of I'm, I'm just sick enough or in enough pain or distress that I go to the ER, but not sick enough or in enough pain to be considered anything of a priority. I'm having flashbacks just thinking about it right now. Sitting there and, 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 and in pain and just wanting relief, wanting help, and seeing people far worse than you. You're an hour in and, and someone comes in and just blood shooting out. And you go, ah, oh, great, they're definitely going to see him first. <laughs> you want to have compassion, but it left hours ago. And you notice the pattern that those who moan seem to go back, so you try it out. As someone who's done that and tried that out, can I just warn you all this morning, when they wheel those people back who are moaning, they just put them in a smaller cramper waiting room where all the moaners are. <laughs> You're all just in there. Oh, doctor, please. When you're in pain, time seems when you're in pain, time seems to slow down, doesn't it? You wonder, how much longer must I wait? Where is my help? And when your soul is in pain, when you're experiencing an inner ache, it doesn't feel like a busy hospital waiting room. It feels like an empty one. You're sitting in a waiting room waiting and looking around, and there is no one there, no nurses, no receptionists, no doctor. And after enough time, you start to even wonder, is the one who can help my soul even here? It seems like God is disinterested in me, that he might have forgotten me here. David asked, how long? He asked, how long will you hide your face from me? In the Old Testament, the language of having God's face shine upon you is a sign of his covenantal favor and grace. Moses would speak face to face with God as one would with a friend. And when he left the presence of God, his face would radiate. It was clear to all that God was intimately close to Moses. It communicated a special relationship to God. So when David asked this question, he's saying far from a close and intimate and favorable relationship, far from that, he feels abandoned and alone. That aloneness leads him to take counsel in his soul and feel sorrow in his heart. This may be one of the hardest parts of climbing out of despair. I don't know about you, but I can be incredibly unhelpful in my own head. My internal counsel on my own can steer towards panic, worry, and fear. We have a way of assuming the worst, don't we? 
And when you're in the dark night of your soul, your own counsel and sorrow can bury you. Our souls and faith can feel like a faintly burning fire, and our own counsel can be like a bucket of water. Now, I think at this point, many of us can relate to the trajectory of this prayer. Sorrow and pain can slow down time, and we cry out for relief. Crying out but not finding relief can make us feel forgotten. Feeling forgotten can lead us to feel abandoned, and feeling abandoned intensifies our loneliness, and we're left with our own counsel and sorrow. Are we relating so far? But the last, how long, is how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, some of us immediately relate to that. We say, of course, my sickness, my depression, my circumstances, or even an antagonistic individual in our lives, those are my enemies. But others of us can feel this is harder to connect to. You might, you might feel that since it's not a person trying to track you down and murder you like Saul was with David, that this verse is not meant for you. But I want to give you permission this morning to be able to pray these words. There will always be degrees of trials that people walk through, and you might think your enemy is nothing compared to something someone else is walking through, but Scripture does not lay out a scale for us to evaluate. We all in this room have an enemy. We have an enemy in Satan, we have an enemy in sin, and we all have an enemy in death. This world is broken, and there's real enemies that stand against us. These are real enemies we all share. And when our souls are in pain, our circumstances are broken, when you feel despair, you are experiencing the effects of this sinful world. And it's okay in those moments to cry out for rescue from your enemy. Now David has complained to God without a direct request. He has stated his circumstances. He has questioned God. So has he sinned? No. God is big enough for our questions. It's okay to ask God questions. So let's look at the next two verses. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Now David moves from complaint to request. He gives three requests that speak directly to this despair that's spoken of in the first two verses. It's consider, answer, and give light. Now, consider speaks to the abandonment and loneliness David is experiencing. If God is considering, then he's no longer disinterested or unengaged. Here, David is taking his complaint of feeling alone and asking God to be actively engaged in a way where he knew he was there. Answer me speaks to the inner dialogue that David is experiencing. This is the counsel and sorrow there in his inner companions. If God was to answer and speak into this circumstance, then it would no longer be David's inner dialogue alone. God's words would not only assure David that he's not alone, but that truth would be spoken. That faintly burning fire of our souls would have life breathed into it. And lastly, David says, light up my eyes. 
And that speaks to both the complaint of God's face being hidden from him and his enemies being exalted. The picture of Moses coming out of the tent of meeting in the book of Exodus and his face radiating because he was just in the presence of God expressed to everyone that, God had, that Moses had special favor. It also validated that Moses wasn't making this whole thing up. Now, have you guys ever noticed someone's not doing well by the look on their face? I know I have. You know, this is why people often say that the eyes are the windows of the soul. It's why so often we take such care to think about how we're presenting our faces because we don't want people to know that we're not okay. It's the smile that's just pasted on your face. It's, it's trying to get your eyes to be lit up. Just, yeah, I'm doing well. And you're just hoping people don't see any deeper. David asking God that he would light up his eyes isn't about the surface alone. He, he's asking that the favor of God would shine upon his soul so that it would radiate from his face. And the reason he gives for this is surprising. David despairs that if God doesn't intervene soon in his circumstance that he would die. But he doesn't end there. He's concerned that his enemies will have reason to gloat if he's shaken or given over to death. And David is right. David is God's chosen king over Israel. And if he continues in despair, if his condition doesn't improve, and if he dies, his enemies and God's enemies will rejoice. It will look like God could not protect or care for his chosen king. And here we see David starting to look past his experience of his circumstances and consider the glory of God. If God's chosen king is shaken or dies, the enemy of God will rejoice at his defeat. They will say that it represents the weakness and defeat of God. It would be a triumph for all those who do not believe in the God of the Bible and follow him. And they will rejoice. And David didn't know it yet, but his words would be turned upside down in the person of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus cries out, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a psalm of lament. The sinless one, the son of God, lamenting. Oh, how real and powerful must the psalms of lament have been to Jesus on the day of crucifixion. It's likely Jesus would have been praying through those passages in the garden, on the cross. We know that he had memorized Psalm 22 because he spoke it on the cross. These were very real to our Lord and Savior. Far from Jesus shrinking back from the human experience of despair, pain, and depression, he uses the very languages, language of these prayers. And as Jesus, God's chosen king, was shaken and died, oh, how the enemies of God must have rejoiced. But in God's wisdom, the good news of Jesus turns everything upside down. 
because in just a few days, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave changed it all. No longer will the enemies of God look at the death of Jesus as a triumph. Instead, they have been triumphed over. It's now the enemies of God that are shaken. See, David was right. If he had died, his enemies would have rejoiced over him. But there was a coming of a greater king who even death, in his death, would conquer his enemies and bring rejoicing to God's people. Now, like I said, David didn't know this. He was just crying out about his circumstances. He didn't have the benefit of the gospel to hold on to in the midst of despair like we do today. But his next two words are startling on first glance. The next two words in the psalm are, but I. How powerful are those words? But I is a churn from circumstances. But I is a startling declaration from someone who is in depression. What does he say? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David hasn't quite moved to exuberant praise and worship, has he? But instead, he's making statements of trust and faith. My heart shall and I will sing are statements of what is to come. See, he's not singing yet. He's just declaring that I will do this. In the midst of the dark night of the soul, how could he have gotten to this point? Where could his confidence come from to make a declaration of of faith, of trust? I see three possible ways. First, it could be that David had faith of a sure future. See, David had promises from God. He knew God's character and who God has declared himself to be and where he's taking his people. That the prophets have said that, that Israel will be a nation that the nations flock to for salvation. And David, even in the midst of his circumstances, could be looking forward and saying, I, I know what this is right now, but I know where he's taking us. That's something that we have today. It can be a confidence that no matter how dark this life can get, we know where we're heading. That we have a new heaven and a new earth where there will never be pain again. It is a good practice for us to meditate on this reality. Last week, I said that wisdom in Psalm 1 has its finger on eternity. I recommend that we all keep our finger on eternity. I want to encourage you, whether you're in a season or you're just walking through this life and knowing that seasons like this will come, consider writing down Bible verses that speak about our glorified bodies, the new heaven, and the new earth. Put them somewhere you see them daily. Let them act like a string tied around your finger reminding you that there is a future promise. Because you you may not think you need it this morning, but one morning you will desperately need to know that you have a promised future.
Second, David could be meditating on God's past faithfulness. We see this in the final line. He says, God has dealt bountifully with me. David is recalling how God has been good to him before. It builds his faith that God will continue to do so. That his prayers will be answered like they may have been answered in previous times. That this may not be the first time he's had a dark night of the soul. And he can look back and remember that God pulled him from that too. When was the last time you've considered how God has dealt bountifully with you? We need so much more of this in our lives. You ever get around old friends and like people you haven't seen in a couple years? You sit down for a meal and you all start telling the same stories you tell every time you get together. And you're all laughing and, and then you bring up the next story and the next story. It's especially sweet if there's an outsider there because you feel like it's, you're just letting them know how great this was. Those stories don't get old and tired. They get richer and more enjoyable the more you share them, don't they? When was the last time you recounted out loud the stories of God, God's goodness in your life? The healings. The moments of providence, the answers to prayer, the moving forward out of sin, the reconciliation, the fruit of goodness in your life. Why don't we try that this week with our friends? You can make it even better by doing it over a home-cooked meal. Yes, I'm angling for an invite. Share the stories of God's goodness in your life. Remind each other and remind yourself. Lastly, David could be acknowledging the truth that God can turn even the worst circumstances and use them for the good of his people. David had examples like Joseph to look back on. We have verses like Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The reality is that David likely had all three of these in mind as he made a churn to make a declaration of trust in God. Complaint, petition, declaration of trust. David had those three, and we have them too. And I alluded to it earlier, but we also have something David didn't have. We have the life and death of Jesus. When Jesus quoted from Psalm 22, he made clear that he intimately knows about the dark nights of the soul. In the garden, he lamented. He had anguish and sorrow in his heart. He asked the Father, he petitioned the Father to take the cup, and then he stated trust when he said, but not my will be done, but yours which means that we have a sympathetic high priest in Jesus. We have a God who knows the anguish of the heart. We have a God, a risen king, who's familiar with abandonment and depression. So we can go to him. When we're in the dark night of the soul, the temptation to feel forgotten and abandoned is strong. The temptation to think that God does not care at all. 
and we can remember that he cared so much that he entered into this and he suffered and he died in our place. We know that Jesus was forsaken so that we would never truly be forsaken. David had the future promises, the past faithfulness of God, and the knowledge that God can use anything for the good of his people. But even so, this churn in the psalm seems abrupt and shocking. Doesn't it? It can feel unrealistic. Two, two verses of just anguish and lament, two, two verses of petition, and then trust? Just five verses in? Come on, that's not my experience of anguish and dark nights of the soul. Usually it takes much longer for my soul to churn, to trust. It seems abrupt and shocking because it seems like David entered this prayer with just this, just God, where are you? And now he's ending it with, I'm going to sing. But I want to point out some things that have been in front of us the entire time. First, this entire psalm, from complaint to prayer to the statement of trust, have been directed towards God. No matter how dark and overwhelmed David may have felt, he still had a little faith. It was just enough faith to know that there is a God and just enough faith to pray. David prayed out of his anguish. It wasn't it's not, it's not this, man, poetic and, and beautiful and thoughtful prayers. You know when we get together as Christians and someone prays out loud and you go, well, I'm following that. No, no, just, just in these moments, just the prayer of help means you have enough faith to believe there's one who can help. Just the cry out of why can be an expression of faith that there's a God there who has the answers. We don't need to be impressive in our lamenting prayers, Christians. We need to be honest. Second, when David talks about his enemies exalting over him, he's making another statement when he says that. He's acknowledging that God is not his enemy in this circumstance. No matter how awful the circumstances and how heavy his internal pain is, David is clinging to truths. Do you see that even in this lament, David is building himself towards trust? Lamenting is not something to be avoided. It's okay that we cry out to God, and Scripture gives us examples of this. So how might this psalm help us lament in a way that honors God? The easiest way? is to pray through this psalm. I recommend we try this, to, to declare these words to God two verses at a time. To take the first two verses and read them aloud to God in prayer, and then to take a moment and in your own words express your complaint to God. How long, God, will I be in this? Why, God, is this happening? Put words to it. Then read the next two verses and take time to pray your own words of requests from those complaints to God. Answer me so I'm not alone in my thoughts, Lord, please. 
Consider me that I no longer feel abandoned. Show me a way forward. Deliver me from this circumstance, this depression. Then the final two verses. And make in your own words statements of trust. Draw from your sure future. Pull from stories of him dealing bountifully with you in the past and cling to the promise that, yes, even this can be for the good of you and his people. And pray it to him. This psalm teaches us that it's okay for us to be honest with God. He knows our hearts and thoughts and that in our honesty, we can come to greater places of intimacy with him. Now, when lamenting, Be reverent. At times we're angry and confused, but this psalm shows us that we can lament without cursing God. That we can question God without hating him. When you're in doubt, and you're not really sure how to express it, I just recommend using biblical language. There are psalms of lament you can go to and and, and pray the very verses to God and then pray out of them. Consider the Psalms of Lament. Consider Jesus in the garden. And the Psalm teaches us that we should lament in a way that moves towards trust. Notice that the first two verses are like a hurricane. The soul is in turmoil and chaos. The next two verses are like a storm. And the last two verses are like a gentle, soft drizzle. David has been moving his soul slowly towards calm. And he might just be in the eye of the storm right now. He might have worked his soul to a place of calm only to find that his circumstances are not changed and he's back in it hours, days later. Or he may have found that he's finally on the other side of it but he is calming his soul before God, moving himself slowly to a place of trust. Now, I don't think this psalm gives us a prescription of how long it should take. Right? It's it's not two verses, good, I'm on to the next step of lamenting. Two verses, great, statement of trust. I'm going to be singing in the future. Some of us find ourselves over and over going through these steps. Over and over through these verses. Over and over trying to calm our soul and finding that we're right back in it. Or finding that we don't feel like we can move forward. The goal is not to be at the end. The goal is to be moving your soul to a place of trust. It might take some time. Lastly, this psalm teaches us that we can put our laments down on paper. I want to especially speak to musicians, poets, writers, creatives in this final point. God has often used the dark nights of people's souls and the lives of Christians so that they could capture their prayers on paper. Many of the most powerful hymns, prayers, and poems in the history of the church have been written during the seasons of anguish and despair. And out of that, God has used it for the good of his people. 
those faithful saints have given a language of lament and trust to the church. And it isn't easy. But maybe taking the time to write out your laments, to consider how they could be prayers and songs, maybe it would bear fruit in your life and in the lives of many. Church, how I long for a community that trusts each other so much and feels so secure in the good news of Jesus that we could be honest and open about what we're lamenting through. This morning, as we come to a close, I want to address two groups of people that I think God wants to minister to this morning. First, there are those who are in the midst of a trial. You've been carrying a heavy weight and feeling overwhelmed. Maybe there have been many tears, or maybe you can't even bring yourself to cry. And before this morning, you didn't even know you could lament. Or you didn't feel equipped to do so, or you didn't know how you could do it in a way that would honor God. I want to encourage you this morning to consider praying through this psalm taking it two verses at a time and then praying in your own words. Secondly, I believe there are those here today that you've been in a prolonged seasons of verse one and two. It could be weeks. It might be years. And there's something in your life and, and you're just stuck on this question, why? How long, oh Lord? How long until something changes? Your soul has been in turmoil and you don't know where God is. You feel abandoned, angry, and hopeless. I truly believe that God this morning wants to meet you in that. And that by his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, that, that our souls might move into verses three and four this morning. That we would take our complaints and turn them to petitions. And that even by the grace of God this morning, he might take us all the way to a statement of trust. You know, as the worship team joins me up here and, and, and leads out this first song. If you have even smoldering faith this morning, if you're in a season of lament, you're in either of those first two groups that I mentioned, that, that, that I want to encourage you as they lead in the first song for you just to take that time during this first worship song to pray through this psalm. To pray those words and put it in your own words to God. That's, that's in your, your seats or standing, wherever you're at, just, just between you and the Lord. And church, we often, at this time, we, we, we talk about how the ministry team will come forward, but I just felt the Lord just push in my heart as I prepared that to emphasize and stress to us this morning, you are the ministers. See, there's something I left out about how this psalm teaches us to lament. It's a song. 
It was written so that a community could sing these words out loud together. And as they sung those first two verses, how long, O Lord, I am certain everyone had different things in mind. How long will this relational strife continue? How, how long will this medical problem be there? How long, God, until you answer and save my child? How long, God? And they all sung to God, how long? As they sung a songs of petitions in verses 3 and 4, they all gave voice to their own situations. Lord, will you show up in this way? Help me. And then they sing a statement of faith and trust. And I'm certain not everyone in the congregation had felt like their soul had moved forward yet. But I think that there is something profoundly beautiful and God-powered that when his people gather together and sing statements of faith and trust together, that the soul that feels the furthest away can start feeling like, hey, life is being breathed into me this morning. So church, when we sing the second song, will you lift your voice because someone else needs to hear it? brothers and sisters let's lament honestly before God let's pray what is burdening our hearts because I have faith this morning that some of us who haven't been able to make a statement of trust in God for a long time will be able to today So let's sing with faith that maybe the circumstances won't change. But today, I will sing. Church, let us worship together.